Yo, so what have you been up to, bro? Bro, I've just been hooping. Well, ball handling, training. I'm using a bit of Elijah's, uh, his D1 team gave him, like, a plan. So I've been jumping on that. Uh, like, body weight stuff and, like, ball handling stuff. We go for, like, four to five K runs every other day. Obviously, we can't go every day because, like, I was I was in season, you know what I mean? So I want to keep my my yeah. body, like, maintained, you know? Um, but, yeah, bro, just trying to stay in shape. I feel like I'm in one of the best years I've ever been in, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I'm eating-wise, everything's been good. And we're all taking care of our business at home, so. That's solid, yeah. Joe. Yeah. Yo, you had, a, like, a, a career-high season this year. Like, how was that and what went into preparing for that? Um, I think it was the summer. I think, honestly, it started when I was in Halifax um, playing for the Hurricanes and, um, you know, them giving me, you know, the opportunity to play. And I think I grew exponentially over the course of the season, right? And, uh, you know, ended up playing pretty much every single game in the conference finals against Moncton. The team ended up winning the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So that was very nice for me. And then going to Guelph, starting my first game, unfortunately, I got injured there. But it just showed me that, like, you know, I belong and I'm able to play, you know, at a high level. And uh, I just took that to Romania. My goal was always to get back to Europe in the last couple of years. And I was there, and then I had the best uh, season I had so far playing as pro. That's dope. So, like, um, you know, a lot of people would look at your story and be like, okay, this guy's done. And based on, like, the injuries you had with your back, your back was messed up, and then breaking your foot a couple times, and, like, no one really saw you getting here. So, like, you have a really, like, unlikely success story. Like, people wouldn't bet on you. So talk about how you you started playing and, like, where where you came from and you developed this resilience to, like, adversity. Um, honestly, uh, grade 7, grade 8, I got cut. Didn't make the team. Um, grade 9, I made the team. Didn't play a single game. Grade 10, played, like, maybe two games. In grade 11, I played at Assumption behind my brother. But, like, I wasn't seeing the floor, obviously. He played the pretty much whole game. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, basketball wasn't something that I looked at in terms of being a pro and stuff because I wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in my grade 12 year, a coach by the name of Terry Upshaw, you know, he messaged me and told me that he wanted to, um, uh, you know, get me on his team. Uh, you know, he gave me that look and, you know, he gave he put an opportunity on me and, you know, I joined his team and it was probably the most trying times I've ever had as a basketball player. You know, for like the first couple of weeks, he wouldn't even let me practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he would just make me run high knees, uh, suicides, whatever it was, just to get keep me in shape, right? Um, and it was good. It was good. Um, probably a coach I'm going to forever be grateful for. And, uh, you know, he really helped me become the player and person I am today. So I'm going to forever be grateful to him. Um, and just like, you know, after that, um, I actually had an offer – uh, from Albany mm-hmm. and I verbally committed and there was another school in Rochester and a couple other schools um, but my first recruiting trip was actually to go to Cape Breton my dad thought local school you know within the community <coughs> just go there give it a look so I went there on a recruiting trip we had a scrimmage and none of the basketball players were there and silly me you know I thought I could uh play with the guys that were there and I broke my foot, um, major setback. Um, and, uh, I mean, the rest of history, I ended up having to go to Cape Breton, lost the offers that I had, um, and other, other offers in Canada as well. So I played there, had a really good career at Cape Breton. You know, we won the championship, the championship there, went to nationals, 
you know, uh, three-time All-Star, you know, defense player of the year. So it was good. Definitely in my last game, uh, I got an offer to go play in uh, in Europe, you know, and uh, uh, had a really good year in Holland. Uh, my second year, I had a devastating back injury that completely took me out of basketball. And it wasn't just basketball, it was life itself as well. Because when you have those kind of injuries, it's like, it's not even just functioning on the court, it's off the court, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, that was very detrimental. And, um, you know, coming back home, I joined the NBL for two years, uh, first with PEI, then with Halifax, uh, massive learning experiences. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Halifax prepared me to get back to Romania. And like, you know, one summer I was 290 pounds and I actually uh, had depression. I grew depression, I was drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, not a lot of people know, especially people I follow me on social media. Um, just like I was in a dark place and uh, I was able to get out, um, you know, all thanks to God. And um, now I'm back, you know, where I belong and where I should be. And I just want to go up from here. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, bro. It's a lot to go through. So, like, mm -hmm. you touched on um, playing at Assumption. And at the time, like, your brother was known as probably one of the top players in the country. Um, talk about how maybe having to follow in his footsteps and being known as Shadrach Lil Bro, like, how that may have, like, you know, inspired you or motivated you to create your own lane and, and have something to aspire to because he – he was a great player and he went on to play with the guys like Fred Van Fleet and, you know, what, how, how big of a role was his stardom in your life? Um, it was huge just because like, he was like my Canadian version of LeBron as he was for most of the country, just the way he would play. Um, and, you know, I had front row seats all of his games, obviously being on the bench. Um, mm -hmm. I never thought I could be like him. I never thought, you know, be able to get to his level at all because he was just so much better. Um, and it was so much pressure on me. And it was tough. You know, everyone, you know, Shadak's little bro, Shadak's little bro. Like, I don't think no one other than my close friends would call me Meshach. Only people that knew, yeah. you know, like, CJ's little bro, you know what I mean? And to the point, some people would call me little CJ, like just craziness, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, after my brother left uh, school, I took it upon myself, you know, to say, Whatever I got to do, whether it was with Rita or whatever, I'm going to push myself. And I think me having that mindset is what helped me not only get back to Europe. Me having that mindset is not what helped me, me get back to Europe, but also helped me to, like, stabilize my career and to become a person who's always resilient. You know, like, a lot of people, you hear stories of NBA players fall into alcoholism and, mm. and depression and then they give up and stuff like that. But I tell myself I can't give up, I can't quit. So I just I just pushed, man. I persevered. And... Um, watching my brother uh, at the final four that same year they went to the final four um is actually the same year that we won the uh aus championships actually yeah yeah it was a championship yeah so that was a fun year i was living completely vicariously through his uh career um and yeah he got to play with guys like fred van fleet ron baker clean anthony early carl hall you know big time name players uh so it was cool his, his stardom definitely played a big role and I think it also helped the rest of my brothers all right. of us with the last name you know coaches would give us a chance or a look just because if they saw potential as CJ's little brother so he definitely started the path for us okay okay no that's that's amazing man um so like you know you played at a Canadian university um obviously that wasn't your first choice 
but there's a stigma around guys who play at Canadian universities and they're oftentimes looked down upon or not really considered as like a talented guy. Um, so talk about guys who think, you know, it's about D1 or bust. Like there's no chance of me going anywhere. Talk about how, you know, you, your experience playing against Division One guys in Europe and, and, you know, actually proving that whole thing wrong. Man, I can go on about this, man. I have this old saying, and it's like, you know, as basketball players, we all bleed the same. We all put on the same basketball shoes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We all step on the same court. So for me, D1, CIS, high level, low level has never mattered. For me, it's just about when I get on the court, I'm going to outwork you. That's just yeah. always been my motto. And, um, yeah, just like what you said with the stigma of Division One, so many kids, I mean, if we look at back in the days, the days of, like, Devoe Joseph and Maurice Walker and those guys, they stayed. They actually didn't go to prep school. They stayed yeah. and kind of got scholarships playing here. And, like, those were our, like, you know, our pioneers of basketball back in the day, yeah. you know, as well as the, the older, older guys. And, um, you know, the Cadugans, those guys. Um, and I think with Corey and Tristan, you know, starting with the prep squad, Huntington, and then Wiggins and those guys following, I think it pushed more of the younger guys. I, the unfortunate part, it does create more opportunities because of basketball is a lot more worshipped and publicized in America than it is in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that whole D1 dream, I think it's about, I think basketball is about fit. I think now that teams across Europe are now noticing that youth sports players can actually really play, especially you look at the CBL, how they're incorporating players. And a lot of the youth sports players have had success and it's given them a taste of professional, you know, guys like Phil Scrub, Thomas Scrub, Tyson Hinge, you know, Owen Klassen, you know, Jamal Masters, myself, Caleb Agata, like are playing in high level, you know, leagues in Europe. And we've come across against a lot of division one players, you know what I mean? That we've succeeded against. And mm -hmm. it makes you wonder and you think, wow, like imagine if I went division one, if I had that training, if I had this, I had that. And I think, you know, myself being a Cape Breton, out of all the teams in the country and, you know, you can relate to this camp, we probably had the least resources in sure. terms of like shooting gun, the weight room wasn't that well. You know, the coaching staff wasn't that big. You know, Matskin did a great job of doing what he could. Um, but, like, you know, Kate Burns, obviously, it's not a Ryerson or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think myself coming out of that school and just all of us getting better was a testament to how hard we worked and how we were able to stay locked in. I know a lot of guys that played in top uh, programs in the country and, like, they didn't do that well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and going up against guys like Owen my whole career, you know, he was a guy who was two years, you know, older than me and had a lot of success playing against him. Obviously, we beat him in the finals. Um, I just think the whole D1 thing is a, is a misconception. I think it's about fit and it's about look. You know, if a coach is telling you one or two or three years down the road, you're going to be that guy, whatever, why not go to CIS school that's going to give you the chance to develop faster, play five years, get better? Because I think more in the States, it's more athleticism up and down. You know, the Canadian teams – it's more about IQ because we don't have the athletes and bodies, especially mm -hmm. now that they have at the Division One level, which is another reason why teams like Carlton, Ottawa, are so successful against D1s that actually cross the border. Um, so I think, I mean, I would have loved to go Division One, but I don't regret going to Cape Breton because it made me into the workhorse that I am now. So I'm very appreciative of it. Um, and I just think, like, you know, players need to understand that, like, that whole D1 NBA dream is not realistic for everyone. And you got to really look at your goals and what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. And there's guys in the Europe making money. You know, Xavier Rathamazes or Kevin Pangos, you know, got a payout playing for Barcelona. 
Dylan Ennis is making money. If you guys follow him on Instagram, he's living life. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of guys don't understand, like, they think, oh, I'll go to the NBA because they see the flair and the lifestyle and everything. Man, the guys in Europe, they make great money. They pay for everything. There's no taxes. Yeah. And you're living abroad. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a great it's a great experience. Um, so I just think, like, the whole Division One, unless you're a high major basketball player where, like, yeah. you're guaranteed somewhere. If you're a mid-major and low, I would highly consider CIS. Yeah, uh, I think that even, like, with that said, like, we look at guys like yourself, like Jimmy Dorsey, um, Phillip Scrubs. We look at those type of guys. Like, those guys got had more NBA opportunities than, like, a lot of the guys who played Division One. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it just goes to show you it doesn't matter where you play. It's just about how good you are. And, uh, mm-hmm. like, what would you say is the biggest difference between playing college basketball and playing in Europe? Like, How's the defense? How's the the talent? Um, like, how, how, what's the difference? Um, I would say Europe is definitely more technical in the sense that, like, you know, you knew me growing up in Cape. I had zero left hand. Um, yeah. Never used it. When I got there, you know, first couple games, I would have 17, 15, 16. But it came to the point where, like, teams now what they're doing is they're locking on you because they prepare way more. This is professional. are getting paid to play. You know, so the margin of error is smaller because you can be sent home. Um, it's not like college where it's like, oh, you can stay for three or four years on the bench. You know, they're, they're paying as a foreigner to come and perform. So after that, they took away my right hand completely. And I was thankful for it because, because of my resiliency, I worked on my left. And now it doesn't matter which way I get forced, you know. Mm. Um, definitely more technical out there. Uh, bigger bodies. Um, they let the game go more. Um, it's more, depending on which league and country you're in, some leagues are more half-court basketball. You know, like Germany, the BBL is a big man's league. Um, then some leagues are more up and down. You know, in Romania, it was an up and down league. You know, really smart guards. Um, so you kind of just pick and choose, like depending on where you're playing. Um, and definitely, you know, they make you they make you pay. You know, in CIS, you could, you know, go on a six zero run, eight zero run, and maybe the other team would score, or wouldn't score. But here in Europe, it's like everyone is talented, everyone is good, everyone can play, everyone can shoot the ball, especially. And if you make a mistake, you turn over the ball, they'll make you pay for it, you know? So I just think it's more it's more technical and I think more physical, definitely. I think it's crazy that you say that too, is like um, the bodies are bigger. And I don't, I don't think a lot of guys understand like the difference between the pros and like college or high school, whatever the case may be. Because it's like hearing you talk about how much bigger, how much smarter guys are. And then hearing guys like Jeff Van Gundy and Tom, Tom Crean talking about how you have so much less room to operate in. So playing within those gaps, um, you have less time, you have less space. Also, Nico Bruno Brunner touched on that as well. So how is it that, you know, teams are scouting you? Like, how do you prepare, like, knowing that a team is going to be scouting to shut you down or send double teams or, or shrink the floor? How do you – um, for, for me personally, like, I didn't do a good job of really watching film throughout my college career. Um, but since I came to Europe, I watch individual games. I could have a game where I would score 30, 25, whatever. I would still watch that game because I believe in some guys only want to watch their good games. And if you're going to watch your good games, watch it not to see like how well you played, but to see why you were successful, how they were regarding you. And then watching film on other teams play other teams is important, not just against you, because not every time you're going to have film against you know, a team playing against you because that might be the first time you're playing that team. So, mm-hmm. you know, teams started sending double teams. I mean, they would send a baseline 
who are they helping off, you know, which guy can we get to cut, you know, um, ball screening, popping, or, you know, short rolling, different things like that. So for me, game film was really big. Um, and I, my coach always, you know, every game, we'd start the game out with giving me the ball and trying to go to work down low just mm-hmm. to see what the defense is going to give us. And we'll know how the game's going to go and how to dictate the game. Um, so mentally for me, I always go into games knowing that I'm going to get doubled. And it's been like that my entire life. Um, and just because I'm getting doubled doesn't mean I'm going to be passive. You know? Yeah. Always be aggressive to force that double team because I'm also, you know, I believe I'm a good passer of the double team. So I think it's important in that way. And I would just say film. A lot of guys don't enjoy film because they don't like the boringness of it. And if you have a game where you have two points, guys might not want to watch it. You got to watch it and see, okay, yeah. how do they guard me? How can I make better reads, you know? And it's not just about scoring. It's about defense as well. How many missed coverages did you make? How much times did you not hedge? Did you let the screener uh, slip? You know, different things like that that can, you know, small increments, you know, that are all part of the bigger game. Um, and that's, you know, pretty much how I prepare. Nah, that's, that's, that's great insight for these guys. Um, also, like... Is there anyone who you grew up watching or watch now who like help you like become the player you are? Or you try to model your game after. Um, everyone that knows me knows I was a Dwight Howard fan, and I think just for Dwight, it was more you know early in his career he expressed his faith and he was a big and he was exciting, and we also shared the same personality, you know, big goofball bigs. Um, but then I realized my game wasn't really suited for the way he played. You know, obviously he's an athletic guy, so I had to be more realistic with myself. You know, so I started watching guys like you know, Al Horford, you know, in terms of like small ball fives and um, even Paul Millsap, because now I'm not seven foot, I'm six, eight. So like at my level, I have to be able to shoot the ball, mm-hmm. handle the ball in certain situations. Cause like even in Europe, there were some teams we were playing, we take playing one team, but they started two six ten guys, mm-hmm. you know, both could put the ball on the floor, left hood, right hook could shoot the ball. Um, she had to be able to go against that. You know what I mean? Me playing the five, the rest of my pro career is not realistic because guys get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, I know I can hold my own, but it's just the reality of the situation. Um, so I would say those two, uh, the two that I really, really uh, looked at and like to watch. Um, I also was a fan, and not a lot of people know this, of Tristan Thompson growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, his motor, I remember I watched a couple highlights of him at um, the school he went to. I think it was Finley Prep, I believe. Yeah, Finley. Finley. Yeah, Finley. And his motor was insane. You know, how he rebounded and all that stuff. And now it helped me because I, I've become a really good offensive rebounder. Uh, since my college days, and and I've tried to replicate that every year, no matter where I've played. Yeah. Um, so I think those three. I didn't. I haven't followed Tristan really since he got to the league, but he definitely inspired me with just how hard he hustled because he was able to create more, you know, opportunities for his team. You know, basketball the game of possession. So. Yeah. No, that's amazing, man. Um, a lot of guys sleep on the dirty work, and like obviously playing with you and just understanding how your game works. You're not a guy who really needs the ball in your hands to drop 20 and 12 or 20 mm. 15. Um, mm. A lot of guys go into, not, I don't know, maybe college or, or looking to become a pro thinking like, okay, the offense is going to be ran through me. But one, you're going to have to prove yourself. And two, you, you probably won't be the best player on your team. So talk about how you've always been able to find your way as a star in your role, no matter what the position is. Um. My first year in Cape Breton, uh, we had a decent team. We ended up losing in the semis. Um, we had a guy named Jimmy Dorsey. Coming into my second year, I believe Jimmy was the best player in the country. Um, I know guys would say Phil Scrub and those guys, but, like, I believe Jimmy was the best player. Um, 
and you know notable names like you know yourself. We had Shaquille, Cedric Asongo, and you know on most nights sometimes I was the fourth option. Like I remember the game you had against Dallas where you scored like like twenty in the fourth, um, and just we were such a deep team. And me understanding my role in that team, you know, I only averaged twelve points a year, but you know I was a tournament all star, and understanding playing with really good players, knowing mm-hmm. how to cut, knowing how to set screens and roll hard. Make giving up myself and my body to help, you know, for the better for the betterment of the team. Because at the end of the day, winning is important. Teams want winners; they don't want losers. You can go into a league thinking you're going to score thirty and forty a game. That's yeah. fine. You're not going to play anywhere. You know what I mean? Anywhere essential to give yourself a good basketball career. A lot of guys are okay making two thousand, three thousand. You know, when you hit 30, 31 years old, and you have a girl, you want to put a down payment. What have you saved? You know, you want to go lavish and buy these cars and buy all these new things. Um, so it's important to understand, like, basketball, your body of work is how you perform and, like, what you put out. You have to understand, like, this is this is a job. The same way people work for 9 to 5, you have to get up, stretch, go to the gym, take care of your body, do everything you can outside of that basketball court. So when you get in between those lines that you're ready. Because it's not coaches. Coach's job is only the two hours that he has with you, you know. Mm-hmm. Other than that, other than that it's, on, it's on you. And that's why a lot of guys in the, in the pros struggle, mm-hmm. you know, because they've never been – they could get away with it, get away with it in college, but not the pro level. Coaches take notice of things. You know, maybe it's weight gain. You're not rebounding as much. You know, when I had my back injury, one of the things the coach said to the staff, he said he's losing his athleticism slowly because of my back. They noticed those things. I wasn't dunking as much. You know, um, so I think those things are just uh, really important, um, and a lot of guys just don't understand that. You know, and that helped me in my last two years um, because I ended up being the go-to guy on the team. Um, but then by then, you know, you could watch my clips. There were some games I would shoot 70% from the field and have like 25 and maybe get the ball six times. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just, you know, when I was Rita, Terry taught me first big, you know, so I always tried to beat everybody down the floor. Maybe running, catching, seal under the rim, you know, rolling hard to the rim, different things like that. And it's helped me tremendously in Europe because now, in Europe, it's a majority of the time it's a guard-dominated league, and that's yeah. how basketball is in general. You know, so like as a big, you have to know how to score off the ball, and if you can score off the ball while being able to score at the ball, you'll have a lot of success for pro career. So I think just knowing where your spots are and, and picking your spots, as, as, as well as watching film, um, will help you be a successful player. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Um, how do you stay focused out in Europe, and then when you come home as well, like? I could imagine, like, nowadays with social media, like, a lot of people um, may, may be trying to come at you in certain types of ways. And maybe it be, whether it be, like, opportunities or, you know, the wrong type of attention that may throw you off of your game. So how do you focus and, and navigate those distractions? Um, I would just say, like, and I've discussed with you before, like, whenever I go overseas, I take periods well, I try to take periods of social media uh, hiatus. I think it was important because, you know, being out there, like, obviously you're going to miss your family and friends. And the more you're continuing seeing stuff on social media where it's positive and negative, it just consumes your mind. And mm-hmm. I think, like, you know, you're out there and you're getting paid to play basketball. So, like, some teams have two practices a day and then you have games throughout the week. Um, so, for me, I make sure I get my work done. You know what I mean? I, I find a Netflix show, a Netflix series – and for me, my life has been about routine. So yeah. I have to have a specific routine every single day, whether it's waiting, whether it's practice, whether it's going for a coffee with my friends, you know, whether it's engaging in the community that I live in. 
to keep myself because if you're just just going to go to two practices and go home and play video games all day, you're going to struggle mentally in Europe because, you know, that's why a lot of guys in the NBA, dozens of times of players, you know, I've talked to a couple of them. It's one o'clock. Why why would you not want to go overseas? Mm -hmm. And one of their biggest things is that, you know, they don't want to play overseas. They don't want, they don't want to be far from home, be in the waters, be in a foreign country, whatever. I think playing basketball overseas, you have to have a different type of mindset to stay locked in, Mm -hmm. especially when you're starting at the bottom and trying to work your way up. Um, so for me, like, I just, I try my best to start my distractions. Mm-hmm. And when I come home, um, you know, whether it's linking up and training with you or training with my, you know, my other trainers that I have, you know, my trainer in Guelph, um, and try to get that situation. You know, when you get home, I always need to rest, take like a couple of weeks off, you know, rehab, maintain your body and then get back into it. You know what I mean? Especially in the summer, you get home, you come home with money, your friends are like, Hey, let's do this, do that. Yeah. You know, you can have, you can have a short period of fun to do your thing, but you have to understand that there's people probably working earlier, you know, mm-hmm. than you trying to get your spot at that next level, at that next team. So mm-hmm. like, if you're not ready and preparing yourself for that, then you're easily replaceable. And a lot of teams in Europe, they look at that D1 label so big and you could be a guy that's played overseas for four or five years. They might take that D1 big man that just came out of college that averaged 14 and 10, you know, if you're not ready. So. Yeah, that makes sense, bro. That makes sense. Um, talk about the importance of like nutrition and taking care of your body because um, I know for me like having two injuries like that was something I really didn't take care of and a, a lot of kids you know coming up now they they just rely on their athleticism or they rely on whatever the case may be their talent or God-given abilities talk about how important it is to like maintain your body and prevent injuries and and have longevity as a pro um super important there was a time in college three straight years i was actually 200 i'm now 245 the smallest i've ever been um i was 275 in college and like i had this mindset where i was, I was even it was even unbelievable how quick i was able to move on the floor i had this mindset where i just had to eat much whatever i could i would just burn it off in practice but then like if you look at the guys in the nba they eat well yeah. and they still burn it on practice and they maintain it with weights and I tell myself, if LeBron, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, like Kobe Bryant, and those guys work that hard and eat that well, who am I, a player that goes to K. Bryant, to feel like I can eat however I want mm-hmm. and not work on not stretch, you know? If I'm trying to chase them, you know, and I think when I say chase, it doesn't mean getting to their level, but, like, if you can chase, you know, if you aspire to be, like, to the highest you can be, then you'll get to the highest that you're able to get to, exactly. you know? Um, nutrition became huge for me. Since I left college, um, there was one season I, I tried vegan, I tried vegetarian, I tried pescatarian, um, cut out sugars, cut out meat, all these different things. And if people saw my progress pictures from now till, you know, from then till now, uh, tremendous change. And now these nutrition is important for on the court, because when you play basketball, you're burning energy. You know, if you want to burn bad energy, like I challenge anyone to eat a healthy salad before a game and the next day eat like an ice cream or something, you'll see a massive difference. Exactly. You know what I mean? Some guys feel like, oh, I can eat whatever I want. I'll score 30. I say, hey, it's fine. But if you ate better, you might score 40. You might lock up your man better. You might do different things better. You know what I mean? Guys keep themselves in such a bubble. They don't understand that you can do more. It's not just about being complacent in your situation. Um, and also, it, it's, it's helped with sleep. And sleep goes hand-in-hand hand with nutrition. We had a sleep doctor that visited us in Guelph last year in the CBO. and was talking to us just like even in the middle of the night when, you're, when your phone turns on, when your phone goes off, and there's like a certain amount of seconds and minutes you had to put your phone down 
or the blue light, what it does is it sends a signal to your mind to wake up. So that's mm -hmm. if you notice some people on their phone, they'll look at it and they'll put it down and go to sleep. But if you stare at it and you scroll, you scroll, your mind wakes up. Mm -hmm. That's people find that struggle, troubling to go to sleep because now when you go to sleep and you wake up, you're drowsy mm -hmm. because your body re-needs, your body feels like it's awake and it re-needs that reset button to sleep in the seven or eight hours yeah. um, that is needed. Um, so nutrition is huge. And for anyone that doesn't think nutrition is huge, you will not have a long professional career because it also applies, like you said, to injuries because mm -hmm. your body, you know, your body is literally your temple. It's your money maker. If you don't take care of it, it won't take care of you. No, that makes sense, man. That's very crucial. Um, so were there any, like, who was the best player you played against or played with? And you were just like, wow, like, uh, I learned a lot from this guy. Like, he should be somewhere else. Or is there a guy who, like, you know, really gave you some work and you were like, I need to step my game up? Um, I'll name, I'm going to name four guys for different reasons. Um, I would say Jimmy Dorsey, just because he was one of the best scorers I've ever watched in my life, played with. Um, I'd also say uh, Cliff Klinskills from Halifax, who's the point guard. He's the NBA's all-time leading scorer. I've never played the point guard that made the game so easy like he did. And mm -hmm. he was the reason why I would score 15, 17. Like, there was games I went 8 for 8, 7 for 8 in Halifax, simply because he just knew where to get you the ball. You know, tremendous yeah. point guard. Um, I'd also say I played against Charles Mitchell. For many of you guys know, he played, for, he played at Virginia Tech. I played him uh, in Holland. We had some bottles, and he was really good, like tremendous. Um, and I think the most guy that I was the most inspired by, he's like my big brother, was Ramel Brown. I think he was a two-time defensive player of the year in college, one of the best shot blockers. Um, and he taught me so much because he never needed the basketball in his hands. He would end up with some games in 17 and 15, wow. four blocks. And just the way he was able to, you know, block shots, sacrifice his body with charges, rebound, and, and as a defensive communicator, he, was, he probably had the biggest impact since I've been the pros on my career. And scoring on him was nearly impossible. Like, we had this thing we'd yell. Ramel Brown would switch onto all the elite point guards in the NBA and mm -hmm. we'd say no help. And there's film upon film of him. <laughs> he actually makes, he makes highlight tapes of just defense, and it's incredible if you watch it. Um, and he just taught me that. And then I became a much better defender over the year because trying to score against him and watching him, you know, he's obviously our starting five, which is amazing. So um, he's probably the most, at my position, I would say he's the best player I've played against because of his effectiveness on both ends. Okay. If you had three things you could tell, like, the next generation of Hoopers, like, okay, this is my advice to you to get to where I'm at or even get further, what would it be? I would say patience, reality, and faith. I say patience because, you know, I used to use this slogan called the patient chase, and people didn't really understand what that meant. And when I say patient chase, it means, like, everything in life is a chase, you know? But don't be in a rush, mm -hmm. you know, for that chase because everything comes in its own time, and I'm a living testament of that, you know? I could have rushed and, and made a lot of dumb decisions because I was in a hurry and, you know, screwed up my career. So I believe, like, yeah, as long as you're putting in the work and you know you're doing the right things, and things are still not going your way, it's eventually going to happen. You know, and that's what first thing for patients, when I say reality, is understand the reality of your situation, the position that you're in. If you're in a situation, you know, because I wasn't Craig Breton, where we didn't have all the resources we had, understand you have to work two to three times harder than the person that might go to a Ryerson or Carlton. You know, I was coming back 
a month early in the summers, you know, training with the coach, doing this, doing that. I missed a lot of time being at home just because I knew I had to set the bar higher for myself, you know, or I wouldn't be the player that I want to be. Um, and faith, actually having belief, you know, that you can do it, you know. And, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says faith without works is a dead faith. And you can believe you want to be something, but if you're not able to put in the work to achieve those goals, it's never going to come into existence. You know, a lot of guys talk about speaking this into existence. You can't speak anything into existence. You have to go out and actually do it. Yeah. You know, you know, you have to go out and do it. And like, that's why when I see what is on Twitter, the app, and it's like, you know, those, those things you can post. And it's like, God will bless you with this, or you will have this. And it's like, okay, but like, this world is not made out of magic. You have to go out and do the things in order for the universe to align, you know, to help you get to what you want to achieve to. And I told myself, I think it was my fourth year, never my career that I think I was going to be a pro. And I think the guy that had the biggest impact on me mentally in my career was probably you. You know, you had a lot of faith in me and you told me hard, cold facts, you know. And this is another thing. It's important to have realistic people in your corner yeah. that will tell you when you're playing bad, when you're playing good, but how you can do better. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how good you are. There's always going to be someone better. That's just the reality of it. LeBron James has been the best for the longest time. You see all these young boys are coming up. They're giving them work. He understands. There's a reason why LeBron spends a million plus dollars on his body. Yeah. He has to keep up with the younger guys, the younger legs coming in. You know, he's smart. So if you have those four things, then you'll be successful. And you, and you have to be able to accept criticism because it's only there to help you get better, you know, especially if it's coming from real people in your corner. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much what I would tell the younger generation. All right, man. No, that's perfect, man. It's been a great interview. Thank you for coming on. And Absolutely, I appreciate it. Free game. Um, you have Definitely. any plans for the rest of the day or – uh, yeah, I'm just gonna have some errands to run. I'll probably go for a run, do some push and stuff. Obviously, with this quarantine, it's not ideal mm -hmm. for athletes. But like I said, you know, listen to Tom Crean and those guys. They don't care. <laughs> like, they said out of this, you come yeah. to training camp out of shape. You come to whatever team out of shape. Because you're seeing guys are running, guys are lifting, guys are doing what they can. And the only thing they might give a pass on is like maybe shooting and stuff. Mm -hmm. They'll be doing that stuff in practice. But like, if you let yourself go in this time, you have no one to blame but yourself because best believe there are people out there putting in tremendous increments of work, yeah. you know, to make sure that they're ready. So it's at the end of the day, it's on us, you know, to keep ourselves, you know, maintained, you know, physically, spiritually, and mentally. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens when uh, this thing disappears. All right, brother. Thanks for coming on, man. We're going to touch base soon and have enjoy the Appreciate rest. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. You too.